Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I have to tell you, I, uh, me and the lovely Joanne, we went Christmas tree shopping this weekend, and we were bummed because last year we went to this little lot on uh, San Fernando and Burbank, and it was a little Armenian family. We got the tree. We live a few blocks. It was great. So we went driving around. We couldn't find it. So everyone says, go to Home Depot. Home Depot is very cheap and, you know, inexpensive. So we go to Home Depot, but it was just, it was disgusting because all the trees are just wrapped up and thrown out. It reminded me of, like the movies when you see like they, the war movies, they bring the wooden caskets out. That's what it looked like. And, and you have to unwrap the tree. And when you unwrap it, you can't see what it looks like. And all you're getting is a bunch of unwrapped trees that people thought were too crappy for them to take home. So we went to another place. We went to a, a, a Make-A-Wish place on, on at the Burbank High School and because Joanna does a lot of to work with Make-A-Wish. And they were like 65 bucks. I'm like, I'm not paying 65 bucks for a Douglas fir. So finally we went to the YMCA and it was great. We got a nice tree and I'm happy. So we got it decorated and now I'm in the Christmas mood. And uh, my guest actually was looking for Christmas trees. My guest is Lisa Coppola. Hello. Yeah, now we talked about, now the place you gave me. Was, Oliver Holton Sons. Yeah, see for me, that's a little bit of a too far of a ride just for the fact that and that's just me being selfish, but if I'm driving, I'm worrying my tree is going to fall off. And I'm not worried that it's going to cause an accident. I'm worried that I'm going to lose the tree and I've got to get it back on. So you, did you get your tree? We got our tree. We go every year since we've lived in Studio City. So this is our 14th year. Um, wow, that's a long time. 14th year to Oliver Holton Sons. And they used to be on Laurel and Burbank right by the... Um, uh, what is it, Papa John's Pizza, right. like like Diagonal. Now they're in the Macy's parking lot at like the 170 Oxnard and Laurel, and they're great. They've been there. They're family-owned. I love it, and we get our tree there. It's way too expensive, and <clears throat> but we do it, and I feel bad because I'm spending like 80 bucks on something that's going to die. Right. Isn't it, isn't it weird how expensive? I mean, I remember when I was a kid. I mean, trees, I mean... We had one last little, we had a real one. But then as we got older, our parents were like, you know, they're older, get the, you know, the artificial. But I remember, I think they were like 10, even last year, I think I spent like 35 bucks and I'm sitting there going, 80, 85. There were some trees I saw that were like, honestly, were like 175 bucks. And I'm thinking, holy crap, that's a lot. I mean, you can give yes. your kids the presents. Exactly. The kids would rather have the exactly. presents. They'd rather have the, I wanted a fake tree. But my eldest, Mila, she's 12. She told me she would disown me. Okay. If I brought a fake tree into the house. So I was like, okay, daughter or tree. Now, Christmas is big in your house? Well, yeah, I have three daughters, so now, it's big, yeah. Now, do do all of them believe in Santa or is yes, it? Yes, they all do still. Okay, so that's great. For 12, that's that's older. That's good. Yes, I mean, she has an obviously, she has an idea. But she let she believes in the spirit and she just keeps up the whole facade for the little ones. See, I think that's great. I think that's probably because you're... Because you're in the creative field, and so is your husband. I think kids get creativity. I, I wait. I believe to us later, and I think it's a great thing because Christmas is such a fascinating time. It's magical when you're younger and you believe. I mean, you sit there and go, "Wow, Santa!" And you get older and you go, "Okay, but that's cool." Yeah. Well, I still kind of believe. I mean, you know, it, there is magic in the season. Every every. My favorite season is when school starts, September to February. After February, there is nothing good that happens. There's nothing magical. What Fourth of July? Right. I mean, there's nothing like exciting, whereas the, you know, it's getting a little cold and where we're from the East Coast, that's when the leaves turn and it's fun. And there's, there's like Halloween to look forward to and Thanksgiving and Christmas and then nothing. Right. I know. So you're from Long Island. Yep. Now, as a kid, did you want to act or, I mean, I mean, when you were a little kid, what did you want to do? Were you one of those kids who craved, I mean, here's so many different stories with actors. Some are like, I didn't ever want to did it. Some say, we went to college. I, I didn't want to major in business. Did you act as a kid or what brought you into this? whole field this whole field um well when i was a little girl i used to do little skits with my grandmother's neighbors kid paula and we would you know splish splash you know we would do this like whole skit from my grandmother whenever i was over at my grandma's house and i really liked that then i remember discovering donnie and marie and Cher, and i was like huh i like what they're doing i like what they're about so my father was an actor and a model. Uh, he was primarily a model and a commercial actor. And I would do some shoots with him, you know, occasionally. And I thought that that was a lot of fun. But then that was the, really the end of it. Um, I went to boarding school in Kent, Connecticut. And then I went to NYU. And uh, I was renting an apartment from a lady who said, did you ever think about modeling? I said, I did when I was a kid. And I, she hooked me up with Elite, which was her agency. And then it just kind of snowballed. It just, it happened. Now, what was your major in NYU? Philosophy and political anthropology. Okay, so, so you, that you're not, right there, there's not really a good path to take when you no, get out. 
Well, I, I was actually studying for the LSATs. Okay. I thought I was going to be a lawyer. Um, and I was doing that when I booked my first job, which was uh, MTV's Remote Control. Right. Now, I remember that show, and it was with uh, Ken Ober, the late yeah, Ken, Ken Ober, Ober and, and it's Colin, Colin Quinn, Quinn and Dennis Leary. Yep. Mario and was, Joyner. And Mario, oh, was, yep. Mario, he was, there's so many of those guys, it's so funny, they were, I remember because I was doing comedy in Philadelphia at the time, and so many of those guys, like, when that started, you had, you had remote control, and then there was so many, MTV was still just, it was when it was cool. Yes, know? it and was it, cool, and they were a little irreverent. Right. But it was run by 12-year-olds. Right. So now, the, now yeah. your job on remote control, you were the hostess? Or? I was the hostess. I was the one who danced in Lycra. Okay. That, that, was, that was me. Yeah. No, well, I mean, that must have <laughs> been great. Though. I mean, you, you, you're not sure what you're going to do. You're getting out of college, you're thinking of taking the LSATs, and then you're on TV. Well, yeah, and, and I actually do remember, I, I lived at the Red Square on Houston and A uh, with a girlfriend, and I started to cry, because I was like, all of my friends are, you know, going to go to, you know, Morgan Stanley, or, you know, they're going to go to Merrill Lynch, or they're going to law school, or they're going to go be doctors, and here I was going, okay, I was a hostess on a game show. And I've now been to private school and a private college. And it's why I think that artists, I believe, are chosen. Because when I think about my life and my career, um, I'm better educated than to have chosen this. So clearly, I think it was something that was preordained for me to do. I think that happens a lot. And you hear that from just also just different stories of breaks in your career, things that happen that are so... When you were younger, you would never think that. I mean, I think any of us, when we're younger, I mean, when I got out of college, I thought, you know, same thing. I, I got my degree in management. Maybe I'll become a lawyer, you know, but then things happen. And I think there's certain signs and just different things that happen that we, that creative people just happens to. It, it's very odd. I know what you're saying. So so you did you did remote control. I did remote control. Um, and then I, I think I was fired because I wanted to continue my education. I, I made my dad, my dad was dying, and I made him a deal that I would graduate. So um, they were taking remote control like uh, like on a college tour, which I, I wasn't going to do because right. I, I wasn't <laughs> going to leave NYU. So I graduated college. Um, I went home. I took care of my dad, and he died in January, and in April I got the soap opera. So it was kind of like, okay. Now, how did that come about? Because, I mean, soap operas... It was another world, right? Yeah. And how long were you for a few years from that? Yeah, I was like, you know, two and change. Now, how did that come about? That just the audition? Did someone say they knew you from remote control or just sent you out for the... Uh... Well, I had a manager and I had an agent. Like, that's another thing. Um, when I didn't know any better, everything was so easy. It just kind of everything fell into place. You know, I had Elite, then I had William Morris, then I had, you know, my manager at the time. Um, and everything, everything was really serendipitous and providential. Um, of course, now then as you get older, it gets more difficult because then you start to give a shit. Right. Like, am I allowed to say that? Yeah, sorry. Okay. Um, uh, so, yes, so I had a manager and, and an agent, and they I was auditioning. Um, and in my senior year, I think I did a show called, uh, with Kelly Rutherford, it was great. And, um, oh, oh, Danny, oh, no, you don't, Danny. What's his name from Candy Shack? Oh, uh, um, um, um I, I watched that movie. Dan, um, um, Ted Knight? No, no. No, um, no, no. Honey, what's the guy's name? Danny Noonan? Danny Noonan. Michael O'Keefe. Michael O'Keefe. Yes, okay. thank you. Oh, my God, that was a stretch. Um, yes, yeah, so I did that. And then I was just, you know, working periodically throughout my senior year of college, thinking, okay, this is good. I go home. My dad dies. I get, on the, I get an audition for the soap. And it was basically just going to be a reoccurring character. Um, but I think they really liked what I was doing. And, and it was interesting because at the time, I was the only person on soaps who looked like me. There weren't, you know, you were either black or you were Hispanic or you were white, but there wasn't somebody who was like an amalgamation of all of it. And then I think that they saw that Linda Dano and I had a really good chemistry. So all of a sudden I was Linda Dano, Felicia Gallant's long lost daughter, and it turned into a huge Magilla, which what's, was fantastic. What's amazing about soap operas is the, um, the fans. I mean, I had, I had, uh, I had, uh, Teal Panglis who was, um, on stuff. He was Demira on Days of Our Lives. Right. And when I, it was hitting back, he was another guy from Twitter. These women were going, oh, when's he on? When's he on? And then it was amazing when he came on. I'd never seen so much support. I mean, they were retweeting. And I I'm aired on this other station that it's that they put it out. And these women are going, listen to this. And I've listened to it three times. And the, the fans are amazing. I mean, you must have been fans great. Fans are you. amazing. And they're cool. They're not like crazy fans. I mean, you might get a few. But they're just, they're no. cool. And they're they're I mean, wonderful. What, what was that like for you? Because people must just 
smothered you up. Like, yes, oh my God, did. this is Linda Dano's daughter. Exactly. And I was huge in Canada. Huge. Our show was huge in Canada. And I remember going there to do like a kind of meet and greet. Uh, and it was really overwhelming. But one of the best stories that I, that I had um, is a young woman. Um, I was crossing by Lincoln Center and a young woman ca- came up to me and she gave me an angel a little angel uh, like charm and she said I've been carrying this in my purse in the hopes that one day I might run into you and I want to tell you because she said I was raped um, because Lorna was going through a whole rape storyline that the way you portrayed it was exactly the way I felt and I didn't feel so alone anymore and I was like wow the fact that I could do that that I could touch this woman by playing pretend and in playing pretend something so fiercely brutal and 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 uh, and vulnerable um, and sensitive made me feel so good I mean soap opera fan no matter how many series I've been in or what movies I've done it's Lorna they remember Lorna and the weird chick I played on CSI see that's funny people and <laughs> well people also remember a lot of times they remember Star Trek that's like the other that's Star Trek yep, equivalent Voyager, to soap yes, opera. Like soap the opera. people sit there yes. and go oh my god so you're doing that now that must be a little crazy though for you I mean you're getting this all this attention I mean you said it's overwhelming but you're probably what 22 23 exactly yep and at that time most of us you know we're still punks I mean let's be honest <laughs> I mean you don't, don't want to break it up we're, we're still kids and yeah. luckily, did it, did it go to your head at all? Because a lot of times, and you know how, you know, you, yes, you've no. been in the business for a yeah. long time. You know how some people get one, I mean, one little smidgen of a break and they think, oh, I'm the biggest thing. But No, not for me. I think um, I've always been just incredibly grateful for anything that it comes my way. Um, I think it's because my father was so sick for a lot of my life that... Um, I always I know how everything can be taken away really really quickly so that was never an issue for me I was always a responsible kid because I had to be I had a little brother to take care of and then when I started uh, on on the soap and I started to make money I you know I'm still in bed at nine o'clock like nothing's changed I'm you know so no that that was never anything for me as an actor here's the deal I feel like I'm lucky to get the opportunity to audition or if I'm offered something holy crap like that's amazing then I'm lucky if anybody watches the thing that they hired me to do, then if it's in the case of a pilot, I'm lucky if it gets picked up. Then I'm lucky if it gets picked up and I'm picked up with it. So there's so many things that go into it that to be um, ungrateful and to be uh, a little too big for one's britches, it just never occurs to me. It is. Uh, it, that is. I mean, that's such a story that I've heard from people. There's so many people, they get a pilot. And like you say, they're grateful. And it's so funny. And then, you know, then they get bummed that they cancel. But I always say, well, you know what? You're that much ahead of the game that you actually got a pilot. And a lot of people don't even yes. get to that, That's the, true. that starting block. That's true. So another world, do you leave? I mean, do you get fired? Do you quit? No. Or do you die? Or what <laughs> no. happens? No. Um, I didn't want to stay. Well, when I first came on um, and it was reoccurring and they wanted me to be a regular, I was like, fine. But I did it for, I, I believe my deal was for a year. And then they wanted me to do it. And I was like, no, I I don't want to continue. I wanted to come out and kind of get on with my career because that's what everybody was guiding me and telling me to do. But um, it turned out that I agreed to stay for a little bit more. So I think I did, you know, retroactive three years, um, including when I wasn't um, a contract player. And then I decided to leave to come out to California and try my hand in, you know, the big time. Um, And they recast me with a lovely woman named Robin Christopher. Okay. So they just recast the character. So what was it like moving out to L.A.? Because, I mean, it's so funny. When I came out to L.A., the first time I visited, well, me and my ex-wife lived in San Diego, and I came out to L.A. And, you know, growing up back east, and I lived outside New York City for a while. You know, I always say this every week. You you know back east if you're in a bad neighborhood. In L.A., you don't know. Like, you're driving, and there's nice houses, and then you hear a gunshot. Exactly. And now, so when you moved out, had you been to L.A. a few times, or were you familiar with it? I had been here. I had family here. So um, I had been here. I had tested here and auditioned here. I would like fly myself out or they would fly me out. So it wasn't completely foreign to me. Um, and I moved to West Hollywood initially because that was a lot like New York where you can walk everywhere. And I, I felt pretty safe there. Um, and every year I moved to a different place um, like within like a block of each other um, in West Hollywood. And it, it, it was a difficult move for me because my whole life had been in New York. I'm a New Yorker. Um, and I came out with, you know, pillows and clothes and, you know, my bedding. And that was pretty much it. 
um, and I left my apartment. I subletted it for a bit, <coughs> uh, but it was a huge change. I mean, the weather was a change. The people are are different here, really. They're what just, do you see the difference of people? Because I, I know the I know the difference I see. But what would you say that is the is the biggest difference of people that you meet out here? Because there's so many people from different areas. But LA changes a lot of people. What What do you think the difference of people is between a New Yorker and East Coaster and someone out here? Well, I think there's a level of honor um, and honesty and a, what you see is what you get in the East Coast. Out here, you just, you don't know. You, you don't know what, if somebody's being genuine with you. There's just an authenticity that I don't find here that I found in New York. And I also find here, people are always trying to get to the next place instead of just kind of, you know, sitting back and having a Coke and a piece of pizza. Right. You know, let's just enjoy the moment for a second. You know, that that's not here at all. And I find it raising children, too, that it's uh, it's really, really hard to um, to not raise a bunch of little tools. Right. It's so true. I, I sit there. I mean, I, I was at a, the grocery store the other day and I'm always some of those people. My girlfriend's the same way. We you know, bring our own bag. And, and if the girl's busy, you're just not. We, we help. We pack sure, it up. bag my, your own stuff. My girlfriend's very, like, particular. Like, well, I can put all this in one bag. But I see a mother with her daughter who's like 13. OK, 14, maybe. And the girl's busy. This poor girl's by herself working. The mother is one of those people that won't shut up. And the girl, her daughter is just sitting there. And it's like when I was growing up, we would have been picking, we would have been putting him in the bag. And you see that somebody, there's just, there's laziness of kids out here, I think. Absolutely. My husband has a really great saying, which is kind of what we live by. Um, It's not our job to be our children's friend. It's our job to make other people want to be their friend. And I, there's just I don't want to I don't want to raise assholes. Right, that's so true. I, just, I don't want to. But I think that's when you're from back east. That's that's how you. Yeah. So that's the difference. That's the difference. That's what I find. And we're very old school parenting, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just the difference. I just I don't know. I want to go home. Actually, I'd like to move back home. A lot of people do that. I mean, I I was for me it was good because I was in a long distance relationship uh, like two years ago. I was back and forth every month back to the the area I grew up. And she moved on here, thank God, because the last winter was awful and this winter is awful. That's the thing that scares you. I don't want to. My flights would have been like ground all the time. My mother still lives there in Montauk. Okay, so, but I mean, it's just, it's the thing though. But once you do go back, you like it, but then you just sit there and you you get that dose and you come back here and it's all good. (laughs) You're like, okay, you know what? I, I, because I forgot how to use gloves. I'm I'm sitting there going, what what the hell is this? So now you come out here now, but now when you came out, you had an agent, I'm sure. Yeah, 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 I was was hooked. I was dialed up. It was an easier transition for for you than most. Yes. Now, what then happens? Because now it's a different, you know, you have a name in New York and you, I mean, is it, do you have to seem like, even though you have an agent and you have credits, do you have to somewhat start over or what was your path starting? Well, I came out here. Um, I was working. I, I left the soap and I, I was back and forth working. I worked a lot the year that I left. I did the pilot for the uh, Voyager, for the Star Trek. I did Jimmy Smith's first episode of NYPD Blue with the great Greg Hoblet. And, um, and I was just, I kept working. Um, and so when I decided to come out, I had already kind of met a a few of the casting directors. So it was really kind of exciting. Um, so I wasn't completely unknown, uh, but it was, you know, it's, it's nerve wracking because I didn't have any friends really. I was just out here on my own working. And then, then this one, my husband, he came out, um, and we got together. So at least I had a partner in crime, um, but we knew each other from New York. Uh, but my first television series when I got out here um, was, I think it was Trinity. Trinity, yeah, it was Trinity, and that which took me back to New York. Isn't that always crazy? Like people sit there, <laughs> exactly. like I had someone who came on a writer who was, you know, writing out here. And then he gets, you know, he gets settled, and then he gets a writing job in Chicago. Of course, so he moves for you know a year, and then that show gets canceled, and he's like, then he comes back here, and it's just it's so weird. It happens a lot where you you come out and you're like, okay, I finally moved to LA. Oh wait a second, we have to go back to New York. Yes, yeah. So we went back. I went back to New York to shoot Trinity. Then that got canceled. Now what's then that I, like? I'm sorry, but what is what is that? Like? Is it? depressing when it gets canceled or I mean it was your first series that got canceled pretty much right yeah it was my first series um I didn't really you didn't care I really didn't care because I wanted to come back and you know be with him because we were apart then I went to do Vancouver and I did a series there called Cold Feet and that lasted a good hot minute, and I couldn't wait to get out of Vancouver. They shoot a lot up there now. Yes, they shoot a lot there. Vancouver's a lovely city. I got nothing against it. It's just, 
you know, in the summer, it's like bright out at 11 o'clock at night and then it rains and you want to kill yourself from like October through. It's so weird though. It's so, as I said, you know, Vancouver, New York, it's, so, it's happened so much. They shoot so many now, especially they shoot so many different places yeah. that if you're a working actor in LA, you're really never in LA. You're never in LA. You're in Vancouver and now you're in Atlanta. Right. And I heard New Orleans also. And New Orleans. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, which I shot in New Orleans, uh, common law, uh, okay. two years ago. I went back and forth. I, me and my girlfriend really enjoyed that. Show. It was a great show, and the two guys were great. Now the one guy, the Mike uh, Lealy, he's and, just blowing up. He's going to well, be on the Killing, and he's he's just gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, I'm he's sorry, beautiful. he's like, he's one of those guys. You go, you know what? He, he should be a girl. That's how beautiful I he know, is. He he, is. He's, <laughs> he's he's like an African American Rob Lowe. You know, just just pretty. <laughs> he's pretty. Yeah, that's true. I want to get back I to love your. That. I want to get back to your career, but I want yes. I, I want to intertwine right now and talk about your book because okay. uh, I know you just you it's you just got published. Well, you got published last. I got I read last your book. Okay, so now you said your father passed when you were younger. Uh, he was diagnosed when I was 12, and he passed away when I was uh, 22. And your book is about that time. Yes. It's called now, Gracefully Gone. And you co-wrote it. No. Well, yes, your, yes, your, yes. Yeah, I co-wrote it with my father, yes. So how did that whole idea happen? How did it all start up? And it must be very, um, to write something that's very personal, I mean, it must be a little bit scary. It must be a little trepidatious just because you're really bearing your soul. Yes. I had to write like everybody was dead. Okay. Not just my father. Because if I wrote like everybody was alive and people were actually going to read it, then I wouldn't have written my truth, which is basically all that it is. Um, it came about because when my father was dying, I kept a journal from uh, when I graduated college. So that was like, what, June? Um, so that was June 1990. And uh, I kept a journal up until uh, his death, which was January 13th, 1991. When he died, my mother gave me my father's journal, which I'm not sure if I knew that he had or not. But she gave it to me, and it took me 20-some-odd years uh, to put it together. And each pregnancy that I would have when I wasn't working, I would kind of go through it, and I would go, okay, how can I splice this? How can I? There's something here, but I don't know what it is. And um, uh, finally, about you know maybe a year and a half ago, I said, you know what? I, my husband had come up with the idea beforehand to self-publish. Um, but I was like, no, 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 I want to wait. I want to wait till I have another hit show because, ha you know, had I done it when Jericho was on, it would have been published. It would have been great, you know, but I wasn't in that position at that particular time. So I woke up and I said, you know what? You're right, Anthony. Let's just self-publish this. And it's crazy how it happened. But I went to Fantastic Sam's with my children um, and there was a woman there and we started talking and I said, you know, what's your name? She said, Jessica. I said, what do you do, Jessica? She said, I help people self-publish books. And I was like, and there we are. That's this amazing. is what I meant. I go to Fantastic Sam's to get threaded and here I am hairless and pretty and now I have somebody who's going to help me publish my book. So that's what I did. And it was really amazing because I think people knew that it was such a... Um, a, a love project that you know CBS gave me rights to use the Jericho photos all my actor for Colin Quinn gave me his permission to use his photo with me from remote control you know people were so generous because they knew it was a labor of love um, and I have pictures in there of my dad and you know his story my story where I you know landed after he died where I am now um, and I wrote it because I I, a, I wanted to finish my father's story. I think, obviously, he wrote his journal for a reason, and I, I wanted to honor that and give him, like, one last gift. But I also knew that I needed for my own children to have my truth out there that of how difficult it was to grow up in that environment um, and how, <coughs> how uh, we are not alone, that cancer, you can throw a rock and hit somebody who's been affected by it. And I, I wanted to just create, um, you know, like I say in my book, you know, we're all in the same ocean. We're just in our own lifeboats. So maybe if we, you know, throw a throw a buoy to each other, we can kind of be in this together. Now, you said your father had write, was writing a journal. Yep. At what point in his life did he start writing? He had written when he got more sick? Or, I mean, was, was it a journal? When you got that journal, which you yeah. were, maybe it had, but was it like yours was for like two years because it was for money or one no, year? Yeah, mine was for about six to eight months. Okay, he now, started his, his in longer? 83. Yes, he started okay. his in 83. So it was retroactive or retrospectively talking back to the day that he was diagnosed or back to his first grand mal seizure in 1980. Okay. So from 1980 to 1983 is his spans. Now, how'd you come up with the title? My daughter did. Okay. 
I knew I wanted something with the word grace because that's what I've kind of made my my life is the hardest thing I've I've been trying to find is a sense of grace within myself, um, especially in this industry. And I sometimes get overwhelmed. I have you know three kids. I'm a wife. I'm working. I'm da da da. So that's been a lifelong hey, process. Yeah, you, you had a great. I saw your one tweet where you said about going to the to Trader Joe's. Yes. And that's just, that cracked me up because it was like, you know, how I usually look like a mom. And yes. that just, that sums it up because I mean, me and my girlfriend don't have kids, but I know friends who have kids and I sit there and I go, Mike, my one friend, he had a third and he's like, oh. the difference between the second and the third is he goes, the second, you know, you can come home and you can watch TV. He mm -hmm. goes, the third, you're not watching TV until like 10 o'clock. Yeah. You're not doing anything. Right. You know? And so that's why, that's when he said to me, oh, did you have an audition today, Alicia? Yes. How'd you know? Well, cause you're clean and pretty. <laughs> I'm like, so what do I look like on the other days? He goes, well, you know, mom. <laughs> it's like, great. So now I'm dirty and I'm a mom. <laughs> so, yeah. So my lifelong pursuit is to find grace. So at that point, I had none. And I was gone. And I was going to name it Seeking Grace or something. And my daughter said, how about Gracefully Gone? And I was like, okay, brilliant. See, that must be great. Your daughter, Nate, I and mean, that's just so cool. It keeps it like very, that makes it more even family-like. Yeah, absolutely. And she, uh, I'll have to send you a copy of the book. She, I should have brought one, dummy. Um, she wrote a poem in the forward. Okay. Yeah, so she, it's, yeah, again, it's a labor of love. So you self-published. I did, I self-published. Okay, and so um, I, I guess you And used... it's on Amazon.com, okay. and I did it through CreateSpace. Um, and uh, it was really an interesting process that I, I learned a lot from. And, you know, I figured, listen, I had one agent tell me, you know, or one accountant say, you can't buy a car because you don't know if this show is going to last. Well, if I live my life like that, you know, then I'm never going to do anything. My one agent said to me, you can't have a baby. You have to ha wait to have a baby until your second, until your series is in the second season. Again, I could be 85 years old and right. childless because I waited for a show to get into its second season. So people said to me, you know, maybe you should wait until you have, you know, a bigger platform from which to catapult the book and sell the book. And I was like, well, okay. But again, I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. So that's why I self-published. Now, so now is, is are, are you getting a lot of are people buying it or are they get yeah. now, now are now what's the feedback are you getting it seems like a type of book that people would probably sit there and you probably get a lot of nice emails and a lot of people that really are value your story and that must as a, a writer that must just make you feel amazing because yeah. it's probably just like the story about the rape on on, on right. the world that must just make you feel great and what are some of the people what have some people said to you i mean and how do they find you well some people who've written have you know have retweeted um uh, just saying like for instance this was like amazing i don't know if you watched the beverly hills housewives i watch all I, of the housewives i, I know okay? i i can't so I, apparently one of the women on the show her mother just passed away and one of the people who follows me on twitter uh tweeted both she and i saying perhaps you should read alicia coppola's book gracefully gone and i thought wow that's just one human being to another human being who's had loss recommending my book um it was reviewed by uh, a gentleman in London who is like you know this is a shout out to every big publishing house somebody please pick up this book so it has been really wonderfully received um, and that's my hope and that's also why I did it when I did it was because you know what I'm I don't I'm not on a series right now you know and when I am on a series I'm too busy to do this so I might as well get it out there now because it will have many lives it will lives it'll have many lives and it will it it'll be something i i know that it will that's good though and so as i said whenever there's a message it's always a great thing i mean neo vardalos's book about mm -hmm. uh, adoption neo was on the show and i read that I book and it was it was great because you know there's someone who has this huge career and she couldn't have a baby that's right and she tells her stories and it goes in different avenues and it's uh that's like that it makes a difference and that's thing books like that you're using your celebrity whatever you want to call it for an advantage because so many you know you read a crappy memoir of someone like hey i was uh 18 and you know like right. i just saw some like young kid some youtube sensation wrote a book and i'm like i'm watching on today's show today and i'm like yeah he had a the way he came through YouTube, it's like who gives a crap? You know, it's like it's like you know, if you're gonna give me a book and like a autobiography, give me a Kitty Kelly one about Sinatra because exactly. I don't care if half the stories are fake. It's just good read. It's good read. Yes, and I think it's good for you that you you sit there and people can and people it, it bridges that gap because so many people feel so distant from 
actors and actors. they see you on TV. They don't they don't think that they can break that second wall. And I think sometimes because of social media, like tweeting and stuff, people can now reach out with you. Right. I mean, if it wasn't for social media, I would never have the show because I would not have gotten any of my exactly. guests. Because I'm not right. going to sit there. I mean, I know some comics, I know different people, but I'm not going to go through finding an agent. So I think it's great that people like you, celebrities like you, are sitting there and you're writing a book. But it's a book that means something and that other people can really. It's touchable for them. Well, th- yes. I mean, I grew up uh, in New York, as I said now 37 times. But my point in saying this is that when I was a young actress in New York, the thing was to have a mystique. There was a veil. You know, we didn't have Twitter. We didn't have Facebook. We didn't have any of the, We didn't have mobile phones. Like, I had a beeper, like a drug dealer. Like, right. that's how I knew. Everyone had I, yeah, everybody had I remember beepers. when I lived in Hollywood and Highland, right? You know, I lived in Sunset and Highland. There was, like, JJ, the king of beepers. And there was, like, the, <laughs> the sleaziest commercials. It was yes, some Armenian guy with exactly. girls in bikinis <laughs> dancing. And, but everyone had beeper. You needed it. And yeah, it was just you needed different. to be. Yes, exactly. So that was the only way people could contact you. And there was something very romantic about that. And, um, and I... And I actually, I loved those days where there was an anonymity to actors and actresses um, uh, or, you know, celebrities in general, um, because then, you know, it's it's easier for you to do your work when people don't have a preconceived notion of who you are. Whereas now the world is, you know, to quote Wordsworth, way too much with us and, you know, everybody knows everything. And what I found is that writing the book, I was able to talk about my infertility with my second daughter. I was able to share so many things because I guess now the older I'm getting, the more I'm an open book. It's like, I don't care. You know, here's my number. Call me. Right. You know, we can chat. It doesn't matter to me, you know, um, unless you're weird, in which case then that won't happen. Exactly. Um, yeah. So you, you, there, there is that thing about having like, you have to have the weirdo radar. But I think for the most, for the most part, you know, my Twitter followers are really lovely people. In fact, I've made friends with two of them. Where I have actually, we have each other's cell phone numbers, and we text now. I've made friends with two women. See, that's cool. That's that's it's that's good because also, as I said, you do have to have the weirdo factor. Yes, and you know, and I always sit there and sit. And Jen Kirkman's a comedian, very funny, and she was on the Chelsea Handler show. I she love. Was, I've done. I've done her show. It's amazing. Yeah, I love her. And she was, but Jen was on the show, and she was saying how like people just outright mean sometimes, and I think because think she's a comedian, they think they can be mean, and that's the one problem with Twitter, and, and that bothers me is when people are just. Just awful. I mean, they're just, it's like, what, you know, why, why? I mean, it's like you can, you have so much other time. Why would you right. write, like, I'll write jokes, I'll make fun of people, but I, I write comedy. I, I mean, I'll sit there and make a comment about someone, but I would never sit there and I, I don't put at such and such because I'm like, that's so mean. I'm calling this yeah, person. I've been flat. lucky. I've never had anybody be mean to me on Twitter. That's good. I have very nice, respectful Twitter followers. Now, what are some of the, the messages you've gotten from people about your book? What are some, like, some of the, the matches that really have touched you or actually stood out? Well, like I said, the one reviewer, Carl, who uh, Carl Marsh, who is in uh, England, he he really was very emphatic that a huge publishing house should take my book, and I wholeheartedly agree with him. Um, I've had people email me um, uh, saying that it has not changed them, but made them realize that they weren't alone. Um, I've had other people tweet. I've had, you know, friends of mine who, who, uh, who read the book, who have lost parents, um, say that I was able to put into words what they weren't able to do, you know, that they, what, what they thought, what they felt, but that I was able to, to put a name to it. Um, and I think when people grieve, it's easier to grieve, uh, in a minion than it is to grieve alone. I don't think anybody wants to grieve alone. Oh. And that's really what my book is for, is just for somebody to have. And especially, I think, this this is the other um, uh, wonderful um, opportunity that's come out of this, is that now people are interested in me to speak at hospice. Um, because I do have a unique perspective of being 12 and then being 22 while my father it was a 10-year span of my father's brain cancer. And I think oftentimes the children are the ones who are neglected, not not from out of love or just, you know, awfulness, but because the, when there's a sick parent, the well parent is taking care of the sick parent. Oh, yeah. So the children basically are collateral damage. My, niece, my yeah. niece went through that. My brother lost his wife from pancreatic cancer and they uh. live in New York City and my niece was at the time was 12 and you know it's one thing he did say because she went to a, a she went to a private school and he said you know people can say oh the people from marymount you know school or whatever snooty but he said they never he never when he got home there was always someone to put a meal out their door or stuff like that and it's true it's not because of neglect but you're right there's so much going on and it's like yes. when my father was sick 
a year my father died the day a year after my brother's wife died and for my niece my brother just like you know when they came to the hospital you know it's like he had she had to sit out side because he's like she can't see this you know Again. two times in a row no and it's not that and that's like it's not he's not forgetting about it but i could see what you're saying with with a child that you you think well why can't i go in there and it's like it's later you'll thank me but that yes. must you know so yes yeah and so i think that i have a unique perspective and um uh my book is at the moyer foundation and they are they are a wonderful foundation um and they have summer camps called camp Aaron, um at, which take children for three days to like a grief camp where they can you know make treasure boxes of memories and but they can also go swimming and water skiing and you know have and have be a normal kid but have people there who can listen to them because i think had i had somebody who listened to me when I was younger and going through this, um, I think I, I would be a little farther ahead right now in my emotional life. I'm still 12 emotionally, I think, at times, because I didn't have anybody. And so my book, I, I, I wanted to reach those teenage girls, you know, who are going through the, you know, a really difficult time to begin with, um, or, you know, you know, kids in general, who are old enough to read my book, I think if they're going through it, we'll find something, we'll find some solace in it. Now, have you gone to hospices and spoken already? Or is no, that I have not. It's, it's something now that is coming, that is coming together. There's a wonderful woman uh, named Diane Gray who uh, has um, um, a, a company and I'm going to be, I'm on her speakers bureau now. So um, in the event that there's a, a, a hospice that is interested, then she can, you know, she's the liaison between me and them. See, that's really great. And you're amazing. passing the word. Because my girlfriend does that. She was a victim of a, a huge date rape case in Philadelphia years ago. Oh, yeah. And when she moved out here, she's just started, she's speaking now. And that's the thing. She moved out. When she moved out here, I said, you know what? You don't have to work for a while. And it's the thing. It's And for her, it's, you know, she spoke at a few colleges and stuff like that. And it's just once you once someone shares that that what happened to them because it's such no one wants to admit their feelings and let's get real we're all yeah. we're all emotionally stunned especially if we're in this business I and mean, we're all insecure we don't want to sit there and show weakness somewhat and when we sit there and when people do that it, it gives so the people you're talking to such a, a great message because it's like it's like almost like i can overcome and i yes. think and you need that and that's what's great because the public speaking is so important even i mean you, you go up there for 35 40 minutes and then the people ask you questions and then it's so funny because you'll soon you know you'll see the questions start getting more questions because people get into it and so that's great so hopefully you'll yes. get out and do that yeah yeah i think so and i'm also you know I, I have a sense of humor about it so it's not all bleak and even my book is funny you know because there were some funny moments but and um and i think we have to remember that too and, and especially with with talking with children you know that it's okay to laugh now i want to get back to your career. yes go ahead okay, get back to your because i you have had such a great career so i wanted you to talk about your book because i know it's thank I, you i, I appreciate that, stuff, that. You know. okay so now i'm looking at your resume you, you have a great resume thank you yes oh, it's like a roll of toilet paper it's it, it's great oh, no there's so many great shows <laughs> now you, you were ncis yes now i always talk about with my guests about ncis because i've had a ton of them on ncis and they say mark Harmon is like the coolest person ever lovely like everyone says that you guys come on and you feel like you're at home yes so Absolutely. what was that like you were in a few episodes of that i did the pilot um, it was the Jag spinoff and Mark and I immediately, I mean, it's hard not to get along with Mark because he's such a jovial, you know, amiable guy. Um, and he's easy on the eyes too. Um, and you know, he's just so welcoming, just absolutely welcoming. Um, so I did that and then the show got picked up and I was able to come back for a few more episodes and I really, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed every minute of being on that show. So you're going back and forth from different shows and yes. you're bones. It's like you're getting, you're probably around. getting some pilots too and, yes. you know, and some they'll get picked up and then right. some, a lot of auditioning yes. and then you end up on Jericho. I end up on Jericho. Yes. No. Jericho is amazing. I originally read for the role of Mary um, Bailey, who was the bartender. Okay. And clearly, you know, John Turtletaub, Kareem's Rec, Danny Schatz, Carol Barbie, John Steinberg, um, Josh, they must have seen something in me that said Mimi. Um, and boy, am I glad that they did because she is one character that I, I really do miss. I loved playing her. Um, and so I audition and then I don't hear anything. And then all of a sudden I get this call. Hey, you've just been offered the pilot of Jericho. I was like, oh, is the bartender? They're like, no, somebody named Mimi. So it's like, okay, great. So you, Sign you me no, up. You had no idea. No so idea. You, so you, that must be uh, that must be scary and exciting because you're like, wait a second, what if I go in and yes. what if you hate the character? Exactly. Still and it was a it. small, it was a little small character in the beginning, and then um, together we turned her into, I think the uh, she and Brad Byer, well, me and Brad Byer, kind of became the comedic uh, element of, for the show. 
and we had a lot of fun. And I, I remember, you know, telling John Turtletaub because nobody's ever thought I was funny. You know, I mean, I can't get a sitcom like to save my life. But when Remote Control, I mean, that was a, that was a comedy. Well, it was. But you were just, it was reality. I mean, right. it's it's a game show. Um, and I am funny. I'm darkly funny. I'm not like but um bump. I'm not Henny Youngman, right? So, uh, John, I was like, how did you know? You know, he goes, it it took you, a funny girl, to be the funny person in the drama. So all of a sudden now, okay, I can be the funny gal in the drama. Um, and I didn't know that about myself. So Turtle Taub gave me a huge gift by, you know, giving me his blessing and, and trusting me, you know, trusting me with the gift. So you got that through the comedy. So so that series, now, was it a big following for that series? Huge. Okay. It was a huge following. Um, it got canceled after the first season. And the fans were not having that at all. And um, they started to send nuts, like, I think 20 million tons of pounds of nuts were Wh sent to CBS. Why nuts? Because they're nuts? I, I don't no, because Skeet Ulrich's, his, he played Jake, um, he, his last line of the, uh, of the season one finale was nuts, and that was in reference to a World War II um, which, uh, slogan, which was like, we're not, we're not going to give up. We're going to fight. We're going to fight this. And so... Our fans sent nuts to CBS New York, CBS out here, and it was really interesting because I was doing a, a, a Lifetime movie with Elizabeth Berkeley, and I remember talking to my manager at the time going, okay, so what's next? I'm almost done here. What are we going to do? He's like, I'm not sure, but I said, me neither, but I feel something. I feel something <coughs> weird in the air, and that night, Skeet called me at 930. Of course, I didn't pick up because I'm like asleep at that point, but... I called him back immediately, and um, he's like, we're back. I said, what do you mean we're back? He goes, they picked us up. Now, why did you get canceled? Did they say why? Was, I mean, it was what's, dumb. Was like, it, were we getting good ratings? We were getting great ratings. But this was the beginning of like TiVo and DVR, so they, I don't know that they really understood how many viewers we actually had because they were still trying to figure out how those viewers who didn't watch live could, could be added into their live viewers. Um, but we had like, you know, 9 million, 9.8 million viewers, which by today's standard would be like a huge hit. Isn't that amazing that they finally are taking notice to that and of the DVR, finally like now. Yes, like now. But yes. I mean, it's so funny because they don't, they don't take that into account. It's like if someone called me and said on a Sunday, what are you watching at 9 o'clock? I'd be like, you know, I'm the mentalist. But at 6 o'clock, I watch Homeland because I have the East Coast feed right. and then I watch Newsroom or we tape it over there. Right. And that's the thing. I mean, I, I don't think anybody at this day and age watches tv when the show is i mean occasionally yeah. but you sit yeah. there and go okay because then they, they always do they get okay we're gonna have three great shows you think some network would sit there and go okay you know what i know we want ratings but if we all just sat there and said we have this great show and this great show why don't we put this on a different night and then people are going to watch it's just it's great i mean if you have three great shows at one night at the same time if some network said okay we're gonna put yeah. our great show on the night that the shows suck they get the ratings exactly and i don't know why i really don't know why we were canceled it was such a great show people uh people love it they're still trying to bring it back and i think it was last year it was very close that um it was going to be cbs and i think comcast were going to do a deal much like friday night lights did with direct tv and nbc I think, um, and uh, and then I think it f it fell through for whatever reason. Uh, no, it was Netflix. Net okay. It was Netflix because Netflix. Uh, we are one of the top ten streaming shows on Netflix. So and then something happened, but the fans are still trying. I mean, they're still trying. I mean, that's a really devout fan base. Fan base. We have a devout fan base. They they were like as devout as uh, soaps, like all the soap opera fans. So really they, devout. When they brought it back. Yes, we did eight episodes. Okay, and then. In that was it. Okay. And that just makes it weird that we bring it back for just, that happened to Southland. You know, Southland left NBC with the TV and then they ended up just canceling it where you're you're hanging. I always hate that when you exactly. cancel a series and you don't know what happens. Like you're sitting there going, yeah. I want to know. It's like, at least just wrap up the season. Right. And there was really no reason for them to cancel it. I, I still, I'd like to ask and go, really, why? Why were we canceled? Now on a show like that, do people, I mean, how do you act when people recognize you in public? I mean, because I always sit there, you know, I mean, have you had any weirdos? I, uh -huh. mean, I mean, so I want to hear something because I love some of the, yes. people have the best weirdo stories because people, sometimes they're the nice weirdos and sometimes they're the weirdo yes. weirdos. Well, I get, oh, you have freckles. You have a lot more freckles in person. 
Um, then I get you're bigger in person <laughs> than you look on the TV or in film. And then one time I was at Bed Bath and Beyond, and I was with my little girl, and this, and I was screaming at my kid because she was like breaking stuff. And this guy comes up to me, he's like, "I just love your work. I think you're amazing. I think you're amazing." And my kid, and now he's seen me scream at my child, so he now thinks <laughs> I'm like a bad mother. And she looks at him and she says, "Why are you talking to my mommy? You know my mommy." And he said, well, I know her work. And she's like, oh, yeah, because she's an actress. <laughs> so that was very funny. The weirdest thing, though, I was at Burke Williams. You know Burke Williams? Yeah. Okay. And there I am, you know, in all my naked glory. And this woman comes up to me and she says, you know, I just want you to know I really love your work. As I'm completely naked. And I'm like, well, now you've seen all of it. So I don't go to Burke Williams anymore. That's funny. So so after Jericho, you, you, that gets canceled. You, you, yeah, no, it you, gets canceled. You start going in a lot of other shows. I said, you, you seem like you play like military. I mean, it's like on your thing, you play like uh, a, I'm trying to think of the exact word. You play some authority figure sometimes. Yes. I'm not a, I'm not a uh, frail fleur. Yes. I'm, I'm not usually the uh, wallflower. Now, do you, do you like playing that role? Do you like playing authority figures? Well, it is part of you know. I I I, do, I am I do have a certain amount of strength. You know, I I, I recognize that. And you're but, tall. And you're... I'm tall. I do have a physical presence. Yes, that's true. Um, but I think actually what what I like, what I prefer, is to play those kinds of characters with the strength, who also have an underlying vulnerability and softness. Because I don't think I don't like to play men. I am not a man. I am a woman, and that, by virtue of my gender, gives me a certain softness that um, that I want to portray, um, that I find more interesting to to look into. I don't want to play, you know. I don't like playing professions, and I don't like playing professions where they want m women to be men. Okay. Then just hire a man. So yes, I do play a lot of authority figures, but in those figures that I play, there is always another element that I try to bring bring in. Now, in common, layer. in common law, you played the coroner. I did. I played the coroner. Okay. Now, you said that uh, shot in New Orleans. Yes, it did. So now, when you auditioned, did they tell you up front you're going to have to go to New Orleans? Did you know it was no, going to shoot there? No, because that's Turtle Taub again, okay. and Danny and, and Kareem, who I love at Junction. Um, so they gave me that role. They were so kind. Um, and I'll follow them into hell. It doesn't matter where they shoot. I will. In fact, they they were so wonderful to me that I would do like 36-hour turnaround. So I would leave here at 4, get to the hotel, go to sleep, wake up, go to set, shoot, go back to the airport and come home. So they made it really quite palatable for me. Um, and they're amazing. You know, if they were shooting in Guam, I'd go there too. What's it like though when you have to break to your kids? Oh, mommy's mommy's going to shoot. I mean, I know they understand you're an actress and you yes. know you go to town. But it must be sometimes it must be, is it hard for them sometimes? Or sometimes they're like, well, she, good mom's leaving. Because I mean, you know how kids well, are, especially you have three females. So yes, it's I like, three you know. But they love their dad so much that, and he's so wonderful with them and he's way more patient than I am. So I'm sure they're like, yay, you know, ding dong, the witch is dead. She's leaving. Bye-bye. Um, you know, it's funny though, because, I, you know, I, I, um, there was a period where I wasn't working as much. And my middle one, Esme, we were watching Monk. You know, because there's a lot of stuff I can't let them watch, but Monk I can let them watch. It was like a lot of fun. She said, so uh, you don't do that anymore, do you? And I said, what? She goes, what you're doing there in the TV, you don't, you don't work there anymore. I said, no, I still do. She goes, well, then why are you always home? When are you leaving again? Right. <laughs> I was like, gee, thanks. Gee, thanks so much. Appreciate the support. Well, you know, they're kids. Come on. I know. So, I know. So now you said about comedy. I know you did some Two and a Half Men. Now, yes, that, Now, was that your first foray late, pretty much into comedy? I mean, and how was shooting yes. that show? Yes. I think the only people who think I'm funny are John Turtletaub and Chuck Lorre. Um, and you know what? That's okay. If, if those are the only two guys who think I have a funny bone, I'm happy. Now, how do you know Chuck Lorre? Well, because he's the um, he is from two and a half. Yeah, yeah, but, I mean, yeah, but had you yeah, known yeah. him before? Was this I had. Okay. I guess I have known him before. He's always had me in for everything that he does, and I have tested for him uh, numerous times. Um, he's just a real supportive guy, um, and he got me, you know, just like John did, because John took me on to do National Treasure too, where I played Harvey Keitel's sidekick, you know, with a bit of a funny bone. Um, so, well, Charlie Sheen. The only the only um, uh, sitcoms I've ever done has been Sugar Hill with. Charlie Sheen and Two and a Half Men with Charlie Sheen and then Ashton. But uh, so I, I think I just need Charlie to audition with me for any sitcoms that I do. He, he, you should, he's amazing. You should have gone up for uh, that anger management. I did. Okay, I did. But they didn't think I was funny. And that other girl got canned after the first season. She did. But because I don't know why. But I was definitely funny. And I actually disrobed. 
I got into my panties and my bra on my audition tape. So that's how committed I was to doing it. See that? Anthony was like, it shoots here. It's been picked up for 55 million episodes. Get naked. Go ahead. Let's go. <laughs> go. He didn't care. Now, now, earlier you said people remember your crazy character from CSI. Yes. Okay, now what, what was that character? Because I, I just started watching CSI a, oh, a little while okay. ago. Well, I, did I, didn't... See you on, I did see you on Criminal Minds a few weeks ago when you're pulling your hair out. But uh, wasn't, yeah, Criminal No, Criminal Minds, yes, but I did, I had spiders. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, okay, no, yeah. But you, you no, 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 you, no, no, you, no. I have spiders, the spiders, yes. Because you're, you're that guy. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So yeah. what, what was the CSI? What was oh, the, the crazy CSI lady? Was, oh, the crazy lady. So CSI, I played a nutritionist trainer who has um uh god what honey what was that called uh porphyria i have porphyria what is that okay porphyria is like the madness of king george or the legend of the vampire right so i would send my dogs i had big dobermans and they would go out and they would or great danes and they would go and kill joggers then i would take all of their good bits their livers all their like mushy juicy organs and i would grind them into protein powder and make shakes oh well, okay that's so um I, you know, I'm like a serial killer, and but what will happen to me if I don't have the richest form of heme within the blood is that everything, my gums will recede, my face will fall off, and I had a really excellent time um, doing that with with uh, Billy Peterson. It was it was amazing, now, and I have a very famous line, which is, "Do you want an empirical experience? There's a fresh shake in my fridge." So that must be, so people just remember you from that role. Yes. Now, now, how is it when you play? I mean, it must be fun, but do you sit there and go, God, I, I love playing this? Because you can just, you can say, when you play a crazy role, you can pretty much do whatever you want. It's not like, yeah. it's, it's no, like, I like that. I, I like playing fringy people. I like playing serial killers. I had a great role on Crossing Jordan, which was probably one of my favorite serial killer roles. Um, that and, uh, uh, uh the uh, CSI and um, I, I I play fringe very very well. Now what kind of how are you? Because there's not a lot of female serial killers. So how the how in Crossing Jordan? What how are you killing your people? I was killing my lovers. So you were like a I black was kind widow of like type. a black widow. Yeah, I was killing them, um, and then I was just kind of burying them, you know, certain places. And then there's a copycat out there. So um, Jill Hennessy and uh, and uh, Jerry O'Connell's characters get me out of. Um, the big house and I help them solve the murder but even she even she had you know she was killing men but she has this really incredible scene with with Jill Hennessy's character where she's like please shoot me because I don't want to live anymore the way I'm living I can't go back to jail and I can't keep doing this and there was a she really broke my heart that character do you, ever, do you ever get really attached to a character? I mean, sometimes like I mean, yeah. like with Criminal Minds, because that was you know the spiders and it was the whole yeah, thing. Because yeah. I believe you had lost your daughter. Is that what it was? I'm yes. To think. Yeah, yes, you lost yes. your daughter. Yep. And uh, but do, I mean, do you ever get attached to a character? And do you sometimes sit there and sit there and find a character hard to play if it emotionally stokes you the wrong way? Um. Yeah, th th there have been some some things that I've read where children are involved, which I I'm not interested in doing. You know, like SVU, God bless, God bless them. I don't know how they do that every single day with the awful stories about kids. You know, that's just, that's hard. Right. For, that, that hits a little too, too close to home for me. Um, but if it was something that I could relate to with the child, like in Criminal Minds, my daughter's dead. Like I can, I could relate to what that would feel like. Um, and she didn't die like a gruesome, neglectful, abusive death. Um, she was just ill. Um, but yes, I think it was very hard for me to let go of Mimi and Jericho. Um, and it was also hard for me to let go of Marissa Rufo in uh, Bull, which was uh, a series I did. It was TNT's first original series back in 2000. I, I really enjoyed I, I really enjoyed that character. Now you you were also on, recently on Sons of Anarchy. Yes, I did Sons of Anarchy and the oh, the finales tonight. I know. Well, that I mean, I I watched the first two seasons of that. And then I stop because it's the thing you get, and then it just uh, you can't. You, it's too late. You can't get, get caught up. Just like Walking Dead, I watched the first two seasons. Right, 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 right. And then what happens is, if you're on Facebook, everyone blows Walking Dead anyway. <laughs> they have to say hey, and I'm like, come on, guys. You know, at least wait. Like, if, if I don't watch it for like a week, like if I went on now and complained that people were giving up Breaking Bad, I'm the right. idiot because it's been on for a while. Right. How was it doing Sons of Anarchy? Because oh that's another rabid fan. I had Mark Boone on, Mark Boone Jr. Yo, but, I love him. And man, I, that was like the first guest when he came in. I was actually like intimidated because he's just such a 
real nice guy. Just a physical Formid- presence. Yes, he's formidable. He's got the jackets on. He smells like a cigarette. He's got the big ass. Love partner. it. And I was sitting there going, I'm like, oh man. And he came in, and, you know, and it's just so. I mean, because what was that like? Because that, that was. Well, that- I auditioned for the marvelous. Uh, oh, gosh, this guy's amazing, Paris Barkley. Um, and I auditioned for a different role. Um, and we worked in the room with. I mean, Wendy O'Brien, first of all, is the most like amazing casting director. There's a bunch of them out there who are amazing, but she's like how she put this cast together is beyond genius. So Paris and I, we worked on this role in the room, and then he's like, I don't know. Don't know what she's going to be. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how it's going to be. And I said, well, just, you know, let me know. I'd be glad to, you know, whatever. So um, they, uh, we, we, I, I, I was going to be, um, there were two other roles b- during its uh, heyday, which was like one was Ali Walker's Lover, and then the other one was The Madam, which the wonderful Kim Dickens uh, ended up getting. So w- they were aware of me. I was aware of them. Um, and so I get the call that the role that I auditioned for is no longer, but would I like to come in and play with them anyway? And I was like, hell yeah. So um, I went in, and uh, first of all, I meet, Courtney Love, who is amazing, and Katie Seagal, who's amazing, who they both gave me the greatest compliment, which was they looked at me in the van. They were like, yeah, you've been around. We've seen your work. You're like everywhere. And I was like, oh, my God, that is awesome. Thank you. And then I meet Charlie and I stuttered my own name. I was like, it doesn't matter who I am because you're so beautiful. And I'm a happily married woman. I was like, holy crap. Is it even possible? Right. Is it possible that this man is as cute as he is? I didn't think that was possible. So then I work with him and I chat with him and we sit next to each other in between setups and is the most lovely, charming Charlie I've ever met, really. And just working on these guys are so tight that uh, their hours are quick and they, they move quickly. And the writing, Kurt Sutter, I mean, come on, he's like today's Sophocles. He, he, he really is. I think I tweeted that. He's the greatest tragic writer, I think, of our time. He's just, he's, he's amazing. Uh, how he comes up with all of that stuff, how he comes up with the torture scenes is what fascinates me. That's crazy. I mean, you think what, how you come up, yeah. It's, like, you must be twisted. Right. We have a few minutes left. Okay. Okay, just a few minutes left. Uh, what, what's coming up on your docket? Uh, lunch. Um, food is really important for me. Um, what's coming up on my docket? Well, I just auditioned for a couple of things, and so I'm keeping my fingers crossed. And, uh, and now I'm just going to kind of, you know, Pray for those and have fun with my children over the holidays. So you have, you, 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 you have a, do you give a lot of presents? Is, it, do you dec- is your house decorated a lot? I mean, one of those big decorators outside? I am. Because you I'm, are Italian. Yes, and it I am runs, Italian. It's Italian. And if it's gaudy and tacky, then I'm going to love it. Um, so my whole house is done like 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 Christmas vacation. Okay. Chevy Chase. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. My husband is is telling me I have uh, We Are Your Friends with Zac Efron, a new movie that's coming out where I play opposite him and the amazing John Bernthal and Shia Fernandez, who uh, Shiloh, rather, who um, I worked with on Jericho. So that's coming out in 2015. Which is going to be great. That's good. Yeah. That's good. And Zac Efron is amazing. So I, 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 you work with a lot of handsome guys. I work with you the work, cutest I mean, guys watched, in the world. I watched that movie, The Neighbors, and I was saying to my girlfriend, I said, God, that guy's ripped. It's like he's like the, he played like the perfect frat boy. I'm, I I'm know. like, I'm like, wait a second. Because you think of him like, well, as I said, you think of him like as a punk, you know, because when he is younger. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Go, no, wait he a second. Is, what, is, what is you? You're, you and know, his eyes are beautiful. You're you're getting the, the run of the lot. Women are going to be jealous of you. You're, I know. You're gonna, they're going to hate you on Twitter now. They're going to go, wait a second. No, I'm so lucky I am so lucky so yeah so that's going to be coming out and I'm really excited for that because that's like going to hit a whole new generation of fans I hope because it's real MTV it, you know Max Joseph Great. wrote it and directed it and I'm uh, I'm super excited about well, that I want to thank you for coming on thank you for having me now I'll give your Twitter uh, all your. how can people get in touch and how can people find your book um, okay so Gracefully Gone is on Amazon.com and my Twitter I- handle is at Alicia underscore Coppola and I actually like tweeting with people. So. And, and you tweet a lot. I do tweet a lot. I tweet about, you know, my kids, the the funny things they say. I tweet pictures of the food that I'm going to eat because I, I like to eat because I'm Italian. Again, right. I like shiny things and I like to eat. Well, people follow her. Check out her book. Also, follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Uh, go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have over 320 episodes up. You can check them out. Listen, if you go to Stitcher and iTunes, type in one word, Cooper Talk. All my episodes are up there. If you have a Google 
tablet, Android, go to the Play Store, type in Cooper Talk. You have my app. Um, I don't perform much anymore, but this Saturday, this Saturday, I'll be at the I.O. West doing the Story Worthy Story Show. I'm either going to tell the story I told in their podcast about totaling my Fiero in 1988 or the time I got paid $35 to dress like a piece of corn. So the wonderful Christine Blackburn runs a great show. There's usually five people. There's a band. It's free. It's in the loft at iOS right there on Sunset Boulevard. So please come out and check that out. Also, you can email me, cooper at coopertalk.net. I'd like to hear what you're thinking. And that's about it. Uh, next week, I'm trying to think who my guests are next week. Oh, the wonderful Mark Valley comes back for his third visit. I always love when Mark comes in studio. And Lance Barber's coming in town. So please check it out. And don't forget, send me a message, cooper at coopertalk.net. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. You guys have a great day, and don't drink and drive. <laughs>